Well, good morning again, Christian Lehman Church. How's everyone? Our church is on a mission. And the mission stated as succinctly as possible is to make disciples of Jesus Christ that love God, love other people, and serve the world. And that's what we're about. So uh, when we give ourselves to that mission of loving God with everything we got and loving other people, especially the poor, and serving the world, the, the global world, what, what will become, another way of calling it, is world changers. Now, can, you, can you turn us on next to you and just say world changer? And just look at them like they're going to change the world, you know? But, it, but it's true. When, when, when we really do that and pour ourselves out to loving God and loving other people, we do change the world. We're, we're like, uh, we bring holistic shalom to the communities that we're at. We're like, as Jesus described, a light that's set on a hill. And, and this morning, we have a unique opportunity to hear from a world changer. And she is going to tell her story. And that's, so, that's part of where it connects in the series of Tell Your Story. Now, Nicole is the co-founder and executive director of Freely in Hope. And Nicole, I, I think she has many titles, but I, 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 would, I would think that one title is she's a storyteller. And she uses photography and film to tell the stories of women in majority countries. Did you know that Nicole was voted top 100 most influential Christian women? And she is here today, and she's going to tell her story. Now, now Jody is here, too. Jody, Jody is a, one of our home group leaders. But did you know that Jody knew Nicole ever since Nicole was, was, uh, was, was small? And so, really, Jody serves a unique purpose up here, just to embarrass Nicole a little bit before she comes up. Okay, so I'm going to sound really old. Um, so before I came to CLC, I went to um, a church in San Francisco called the Salvation Army Asian American Corps. At least that's what it's called it that back then. Um, and that's where I met Nicole and her family. And um, actually, I was at Nicole's house last week, and I asked her mom, um, Karen, how long it's been since I've known her. And she said to me, oh, you knew her back when she was weird. I think that what made her weird was actually that she was an adult trapped in a kid's body. She's always been way advanced, way mature than everyone else her age. And um, actually, when I got married, I asked Nicole to design my wedding invitations. She was 12 years old. So I'm probably the only person in the room that had a 12-year-old design their wedding invitation. And it wasn't juvenile. It was really nice. I was a bride. I wanted everything to look nice. And, but I trusted her because she was that good. And she was just um, always, she's just so talented in um, photography, um, videography, graphic design. She takes after her mom. Um, so she, she, you know, and also selfishly, I, I wanted to, um, I knew she was going to make it big in some way. Um, and I wanted to say that I had a Nicole Lim design from when she was 12. <laughs> So um, anyway, so she did make it big in, in her, um, in, and I'm so proud that she made it big for God because um, she's 25 years old and she's been to more places and done more things for God than I can ever imagine doing in my lifetime. Um, and I'm amazingly proud of her. Um, and she's going to tell us her story in a bit. But uh, first we have a video. Coconut, 
I'm Eunice. I went to Africa Nazarene University to do a degree now for counseling psychology. I am a survivor. I am a mother. I'm proud of my son. Being left, it has not shattered my dream. I just feel I have changed. I'm still moving on and I am no longer a victim. My name is Jean Nangwala. I'm 17 years old. I'm a journalism student at Evelyn Horn College in Lusaka, Zambia. I am a minister of God through music. And even though I am a survivor of defilement, I'm a fearless and confident woman. You came and gave me my redemption, University. I study communication. I like to see all of my friends who are doing like sex for them to earn a living. I like to see them transformed. I like to see them coming out from the streets and at least making something out of their lives. I like to see like I'm a man of impact. I like to see other when I'll be able to transform people's life. I'm Mary. I'm a graduate from Mount Kenya University. I'm a lawyer, soon to be an advocate, as I joined Kenya School of Law for the Advocates Training Program. My dream is to become an advocate and uh, through that help women and girls to achieve their dreams, to achieve that which they've always desired and all along thought they couldn't. So and to help them, to encourage them, they can make it. What was it that prepared him to show faith or to believe in this God that he has not seen? I am Winnie. I am 22 years old. I am a student at Kenyatta University. I am currently on teaching practice at Cardinal Otunga Girls, Bungoma. My dream is to be a teacher and teach, teach and teach, and especially teach girls because there is need to empower the girl child, education to a woman is education to a whole society. Yes. When my grandfather was a missionary in rural China, he would often send me photos of the people that he served in rural villages. And despite living in a corrupt society where food was scarce and the government had no concerns for its people, his photo conveyed images of people who were enjoying their life. Children were playing, women were laughing and chatting, and men were engaging over cups of tea. And I remember his stories and his photos were so vivid that they captured expressions of dignity and they portrayed stories of hope. These stories, however, were also infused with issues that my young mind could never comprehend. Oppression, imprisonment, and affliction were so foreign to my carefree ABC life. Still, I was fascinated with these images that offered a glimpse into the intimate lives of the poor. They were filled with stories, stories of overcoming hardship and persevering with dignity. They were filled with life, life made abundant but marked by evident hardship. I began to see that these stories were reflections of hope, even in the midst of seemingly broken situations. 
When I was 12, I received this photograph of a little girl from a poor farming village in rural China. My grandfather sent me this image when he was working there. And this little girl was around the same age as I was. She was shy, timid, and quiet-looking with this unforgettable, sad gaze. In the majority world, girls are automatically, involuntarily born into oppression. With the strict rules on the number of children that families can have, especially in poor communities, little boys are often favored to bring dignity to the family name, and little girls are often labeled unworthy of life. Baby girls are often aborted or abandoned in baby forests, especially in poor communities where families can't afford to take care of yet another child. And if they're lucky enough to survive, little girls often remain in the background. Their voices go unheard. And so knowing of the cultural pressures that often silence girls in China, it seemed that her confidence was broken, like she hadn't yet realized her worth in God's eyes. And so this was the context of her story that we, far, that we know far too well. My grandfather titled this photo, She Reminds Me of You. And now, 12 years later, I'm faced with the haunting realization that this little girl could have been me. And though I didn't grow up in the village in rural China, and I didn't face the same problems that she did, and looking into her eyes, filled with worry and fear, I began to see myself in her. I identified with her brokenness, sometimes feeling as if my voice was also silenced by self-afflicted lies of unworthiness that had crept into my spirit. In a world where beauty is often synonymous with perfection or complexion, voices from overlooked communities often go unheard. Issues of sexual abuse, domestic violence, starvation, inequity are far too prevalent, and it often tempts us to deafen our ears with ignorance rather than to listen with compassion. But maybe sometimes we choose not to listen to these stories, afraid to identify with the broken reality in our world and attempts to conceal the brokenness in our own lives. That was me. You see, growing up, I was one of those kids. As Jody mentioned, I never wanted to participate in Sunday school. In church, I would avoid eye contact by rolling my eyes. When people would come up to me and say, hey, Nicole, how are you doing? I would turn around and walk the other direction. You see that little girl in the middle? That's my sister. Homegirl's on the left. I desperately tried to conceal my insecurities with a facade that said, I hate you, don't talk to me. Nothing ever happened to me in particular. I've never been abused, grew up in the church. My parents are great. I had wonderful babysitters. <laughs> but no matter how hard I tried, I could not escape from myself. And so growing up as a girl in church, I felt that there were a lot of cultural implications to reach success, to achieve perfection, and to hide that pain that I was really feeling on the inside. I felt that I had to mask my fears and to never reveal the brokenness I had inside of me because that would be considered weakness. I hid behind this mask and afraid to come to terms with my own pain, but this mask was secretively crying out for someone to simply stop and listen to my story. I was 14 when my mom became very ill. She had blacked out when she was out of town, and I remember when she came home after getting some tests done, 
Her, my mother and my father were behind closed doors, and I can hear them through the hallway sobbing uncontrollably, and I knew that she was diagnosed with cancer. And so the thought of losing the person who represented dignities to me in the most quiet but powerful of ways just completely shattered my spirit. And so at 14 years old, I remember that night, for the first time, I cried out to God, and I asked God, where are you? And in that moment of my brokenness, my moment of pain, I felt a sense of comfort responding and saying, because I first loved you, learn to love yourself and to love others. Um, I'm supposed to love myself, love myself despite my angry heart that holds on to everything but what's beautiful, love myself despite my fears, my doubts, my insecurities, and my failures, my words of violence and my actions of hatred, love myself despite the lies that I came to know as truths. Because I first loved you, learn to love yourself and to love others. As a teenager and then also self-identified Christian, I neglected to embody the greatest commandment, to love, to both receive and to give. And so when looking into the mirror, the only reflection I could see was a fractured image of the self I had tried to create, the self that the perfectionist culture had dominated me with, and the self that I refused to love. I didn't know what love looked like because I didn't yet understand what it meant to be made in the image of God, that beauty is found within where love resides. And so since then, I've been on this journey of trying to find out what does love look like. After my mom regained her health, I traveled around the world photographing stories, trying to grasp this concept of love from other people who had also similarly experienced brokenness in their lives. And there I was confronted with the earth-shattering reality of injustice, and I, began, and I began to see Jesus through the eyes of the poor. When Jesus began his ministry, he quoted a prophecy from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And we see this prophecy come into fruition over and over again through Jesus' example when he fed the thousands of hungry people, where he sat at the same table as thieves, where he healed those who were considered unclean, when he advocated against the execution of a woman who was guilty of prostitution when he delivered the poor from physical ailments and emotional turmoil, when Jesus painted a picture of love through the example of an immigrant, when he first revealed his resurrected body to, of all people, a woman. This is what love looks like. Jesus identified most closely with the poor, and that's evident in how he loved people, the outcast, the immigrant, 
the vulnerable, the exploited, the abused, and the broken. And in identifying with their brokenness, he became part of our broken world to suffer alongside of the poor. Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. In his humanity, he experienced brokenness, hunger, thirst, weariness, frustration, and despair, the same things that we ourselves experience in our own humanity. In his divinity, he turned those seemingly broken situations into reminders of his beauty, reflections of his goodness. He suffers alongside of sufferers, and he walks with us in our journey of transformation. He offers us healing and redemption for our failures, and he gives us the gift of life so that we, in turn, can be givers of life. And just because some of us have already overcome generational oppression doesn't mean that our efforts should stop within the boundaries of these churches' walls or within our common last names or within the confines of our cultural identity. It's far too simple to think that we've made it when we're surrounded in the comforts of tradition. But Jesus invites us into a deeper level of relationship with him through his example as he built relationships with those in oppression. And as reflections of his image, we are meant to do the same, to identify with the brokenness of humanity so that we can experience the fullness of God's beauty. Giving life is this calling that God has placed onto each and every one of us, and he equips us by anointing us to share his gifts of love with the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to extend grace to the imprisoned and to restore sight for the blind, to give freedom to those who are oppressed, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, to replace ashes of sorrow with crowns of beauty and to proclaim for the poor that this is the year that justice will prevail. There in community with the world's poor, we come face to face with Jesus. Four years ago, I made my first trip to Zambia, and I met a young girl named Jean. She was just 14 at the time that we met. I remember that she would always give me an attitude. She would roll her eyes every time I talked to her. She would roll her neck at me all the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was just like her when I was 14 years old. So I wanted to be her friend because I knew exactly what she was going through. I also knew that beneath the mask, there was a story that needed to be told. One day we were having dinner at a friend's house, and as we were walking back home, she walked beside me and she grabbed my hand and leaned on me and she said, my stomach really hurts. And I said, well, was it something you ate, you know? Did you eat some weird American food that you don't know, you know, what that was? She's like, no, it hurts like this all the time. It's like someone is stabbing me in the abdomen. And I knew that something was wrong, and so I stopped and I looked at her and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Nobody knows, and I don't want anyone to know, which is why I haven't been to the hospital. And so I stopped, and I said, no, really, what, what's going on? And she said, okay, I'll tell you my story, but I hope you understand. Last year, when Jean was 13 years old, she was walking the same route that she walks every day to go to school. Early in the morning, she rose to go from her home to the school, and Jean was living in a slum area Um, outside the outskirts of Lusaka. And as she was walking to school one day, three men approached her, and they all had knives, and they said, if you don't come with us, we're going to kill you. And so she felt that she had no other choice but to go with them, and 
They took her to a nearby bush, and one man raped her. And they, they attempted to gang rape her, but somehow she found a piece of metal on the floor and was able to hit them off with it, and she fled. She ran home. She couldn't go back to school. She couldn't tell anyone because of the stigma of rape in African culture and even here in American culture. We don't talk about these things because it's considered shameful. It always seems like it's the victim's fault. And so she went home and she didn't go to school and she couldn't tell her parents. She most definitely couldn't tell the church. And so she let the oppression and the lies and the accusations just build up as burdens on top of her spirit. She continued to blame herself for a crime that she did not commit, and she got to a point where she couldn't bear it any longer. And so she decided to take her life. Her sister had come home from the hospital recently, and there was a bunch of medication in the house, so she overdosed on the medication, and she waited. When that didn't have a quick enough effect, she found a knife from the kitchen, and she took the knife to her wrist. But when she saw her own blood, she stopped. And I remember when I first heard that story, I just remember that night going into the bathroom and just crying out to God. And again, I asked God, God, where are you? You who are all merciful, loving, compassionate, and gracious. Where is your mercy for your children, God? Where is your protection for the poor? Where is your advocacy for those who are explored at God, where are you? And I remember in the midst of the silence of that bathroom where I just was in tears and could not comprehend what was going on, I felt God respond to me again in saying back to me, Nicole, where are you? Where is your love for my children? Where is your mercy for the poor and grace for the exploited? Where is your compassion for those who have none? Where is your advocacy for the insecure? Where are you? As I've asked this question of God so many times, he softly reminds me that he is there. In the oppression, in the affliction, and in the woundedness of our world, he is here, inviting us to become a part of the work that he is already doing in the world. In some ways, I can identify with Jean and the little girl in China. I identify with their fears, their thoughts of inadequacy and loss of self-worth. I identify with their fears of voicing their story, but somehow finding the courage to unveil their brokenness as a thing of beauty. It is in these seemingly dark places that I've been a witness to life. I've been a witness to hope. And I've seen that from death to life, dreams are birthed and lives are again reborn. I've seen physical chains broken for the guilty and emotional chains broken for the innocents. I've seen people in oppression realize that they are no longer victims but survivors as they understand that dignity is an inherent gift from God that cannot be taken away from poverty, violence, or oppression. And so through Jean's story, I began to learn what this looks like. And so compelled by her desire to heal from her past and pursue her academic dreams, I started an organization called Freely in Hope, and we work with survivors of sexual violence, and we um, provide for them educational opportunities and platforms for them to achieve their dreams, from everything from psychological counseling to tuition fees to healthcare services 
spiritual leadership development and emotional support, we want to equip our young women, our scholars, to be liberated from past trauma and to pursue their hope-filled future and to transform the world around them through their transformed stories. It is through this ministry that I began to better understand what love looks like. And so I began to ask these questions. What would it look like for a young woman like Jean if she had better access to education outside of the slums so that she would no longer be reminded of her traumatic past, but be encouraged of her worth? What if her story of transformation could inspire other little girls to dream again? What would it look like for little girls like Gentrix if she had the opportunity to graduate from her primary school and go straight to college to keep her safe from selling her body for a mere bag of rice? What what would it look like if someone came alongside of Claire to tell her that even though she grew up in the slums, even though she grew up in poverty, she could still, in fact, achieve her dream of becoming a journalist? What would it look like if Martha, a single mother, was encouraged to graduate from high school and start her own business even when society tells her that she's worthless? And what would it look like for women like Mary? If she could be the first in her family to graduate from high school, the first to graduate from college, the first to graduate from law school, and and then become a lawyer to advocate against oppression for those in her community. What would it look like for young women like Eunice if she was able to platform her story as a survivor and use her vocation as a counselor to encourage other young women who have similarly experienced stories of abuse. What would it look like for Winnie if she could pursue her dream of becoming a teacher and inspire and educate other young women in her village? Or if all girls had access to education in a safe space so that they can achieve their dreams? What would that look like if we became a part of that? It's as simple as a $100 gift for a high school student to support their tuition and also healthcare services and counseling support, or $250 a month for university students. In ministering with young women who are survivors of sexual violence like Jean, we've seen that their dreams have been shattered by trauma, and stigmas have often outcasted them from society. But when they're given the opportunities to pursue those dreams again, they realize that dignity cannot be taken away by violence and poverty or oppression, and that brokenness is not something to be concealed, but something to be unveiled as a thing of beauty. As we begin to live into this life of new transformation that Jesus exemplifies for us, we begin to ask these new questions. What would it look like instead for us? What would it look like if we were reminded to not allow culture to define our worth, but to recognize also that dignity is an innate gift from God? What would it look like if we had no fear of failure or shame, but instead had the courage to voice our own stories, and no matter how broken it seemed, still had the boldness it took to voice our testimonies of what God has done in our lives? What would it look like if we no longer suffered injustice in the silence, but we came alongside of our global brothers and sisters in the fight against oppression? What if we always saw Jesus through the eyes of the poor, allowing their dreams to become ours as well? What would it look like if we actually intentionally chose to listen to the voice of God when he's asking us, where are you? 
As we are all made in the image of God to reflect his love, let us respond to the brokenness of the world around us. Jean recently finished her first year at a great university in Lusaka, Zambia, and her dream is to use her story and her talents as a singer and a writer to help other young women who are survivors of sexual violence. And she later told me, do you know why I stopped myself from killing myself? She said, after I took the knife from the kitchen and I cut my wrist and I saw the blood, I realized that that was the blood of Christ. That because he first loved me, I need to learn to love myself and to love others. May we also recognize that our lives have value, that we are loved. And because of that love, Jesus gives us the gift of seeing beautiful reflections of his image through the eyes of the poor. In learning to identify with the brokenness of the world, he gives us the strength for our weakness, redemption for our failures, and dignity for our shame. And he gives us power to do even greater things than we could ever imagine. As I am reminded of the example of Christ, and as as I am reminded of the story of the little girl in China and the story of Jean, let us all be reminded of each other. Our stories, our voices, and our worth, we are all reflections of beauty, even in the midst of brokenness. As a symbol of consent with what the Lord is speaking to us this morning, I'm going to ask you all to stand as we pray together. Lord, we ask that you send your spirit upon us, that you will anoint us to preach good news to the poor, that you will send us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release for darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim that this is the year of your favor. Allow us to comfort all who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Equip us to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Lord, help us to proclaim your love to all who are in need. In Jesus' name, amen.